Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. So you pass a guy, and then you wait a few moments, and you turn around, and if they're looking at you while you look at them, then basically you go live happily ever after. I guess my letters are um, B, sometimes L, uh, Q, but also maybe A, which is, I guess, asexual, but not the happy-go-lucky kind. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Soup Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. I'm Jessica Hinkin. And today on the podcast, our theme is trying to be sexy, but really just being confused, which I feel like, um, well, that could apply to me. But anyway, um, (laughs) so this week on the podcast, we've got the misadventures of two young adults navigating the murky waters of their sexuality. Before we get to the stories, we want to thank Park School, an independent co-ed, non-sectarian progressive pre-K through 12 school that is located just minutes from Baltimore. Okay, so our first confused yet sexy storyteller. And so lovely and charming. (laughs) Is Phil Branch. Uh, Phil is more than confused and sexy, for sure. He's a writer, (laughs) professor, filmmaker, and performer. Um, He's a Moth Grand Slam champion, which is a big deal. Um, Story he's going to share takes place 25 years ago during a very different lifetime. He was 21 and just moved from New Jersey to LA with high, high hopes. Um, And this is from a story that he shared um, at our Witness Show, which was in partnership with First Person Arts in Philly. Give it a listen. When I moved to Los Angeles, I had two goals. Uh, One, uh, be the next Spike Lee. And two, find a boyfriend who will love me forever. Now, the tricky part about the boyfriend thing is that I was still in the closet. I wasn't out. And it's really hard to meet gay men when no one actually knows you're gay. But luckily, I had a good friend who I had grown up with in Los Angeles named Brian, and he was living in Los Angeles, and he had been there for a couple of years. He picked me up and took me to lunch one afternoon, and we were just hanging out at the mall. And I noticed him catching the eye of a lot of guys, and I asked him, do you know all these people? He said, no, I'm cruising. And I was like, what's that? He tells me that it's a way to meet men in public Um, without anybody else knowing, completely under the radar, just by doing a couple of things. And he doesn't know that I'm gay, but at that moment I am taking serious mental notes so that I can do this later. And he said the most essential part of cruising was the look back. So you pass a guy, and then you wait a few moments and you turn around, and if they're looking at you while you look at them, then basically you go live happily ever after. So weeks go by. And I've been thinking about cruising, thinking about cruising. And I finally get up the courage to go do it. So I go, you know, shop for a man at the same mall in which he taught me how to cruise. Now, I didn't know exactly what to wear, um, but I just went with my gut. Um, I had great legs. So I wore these uh, athletic shorts um, that did what they had to do. And then um, I had this sweatshirt that I had turned into this sort of Jennifer Beals flash dance thing. And I had my uh, navel out. And I also cut off the arms and cut the collar out so that, you know, I gave a little shoulder. So I am walking through the mall doing what Brian told me to do. I'm looking back. But I hadn't thought about the plan. 
because it's Saturday in Los Angeles. Pretty much everybody is gorgeous and it's packed. So I'm looking back every two seconds. And at some point I'm basically walking backwards through the mall and nobody else is looking back at me, maybe because I look crazy. So just when I had given up, um, I passed by this tall, handsome, older guy and I look back and he looks back. I was so excited. So we go sit down on the bench and we talk for about 15, 20 minutes. He was a real grown up. Um, his jeans were ironed. Um, he wore hard sole shoes. He was 35 years old. And he told me he was a music producer and that he was a backup singer, which made total sense to me because he had the biggest pager I had ever seen in my life on his hip. He just looked really important. And we talked for a while and eventually he said, um, would you like to go out to dinner? And I said, of course. And we made our way down to the parking garage to his brand new Infinity. And I get inside and there's a car phone inside this, this, this Infinity. And I'm thinking cruising is awesome. So we get out of the parking garage and I realized for the first time that I may have actually voluntarily gotten into the car with my own kidnapper, but I was so excited that I didn't worry about it. And I figured he would take me to Spago's or some other fancy restaurant that I had heard about or seen in the movies, but we were going the opposite direction from Beverly Hills. And we made our way down La Brea to a restaurant in Inglewood called Golden Bird Fried Chicken. And we pull up, it's in the strip mall, and we get there and it's closed. But he knows the manager. He's like this VIP. So the manager hands us a bag of chicken and some fruit punch, and we go sit in his car and eat and talk for hours. It was amazing. So we start dating. And um, immediately our dating life was a little bit interesting. He would do things like show up late um, by about three to five hours for our dinner dates. And he'd call me from his car phone and I would come downstairs like it wasn't midnight and just go have dinner with him. But I had told myself, well, he's a producer, so he was probably in the studio making beats or something or whatever they do. And then um, he also wore wedding rings sometimes. And he explained to me that the ring was because the industry was a little bit homophobic. And it made sense um, because he was working with guys in the studio and, you know, I let it happen. And it was actually this one time where he introduced me to this woman as his little homie who was in the film industry, which I thought was a strange thing because I had been in L.A. for five minutes and I was at that point working at the same mall where I had met him. And the woman wasn't nice to me. And I couldn't make sense of that. But he later explained that she was his manager and she was very uh, protective of her clients. Um, and that made sense even. And the only thing I couldn't reconcile there was that they were kind of dressed alike. But again, I let that go. And months down the line, he's on tour with Gladys Knight singing backup, and I'm really proud of him. He's calling me almost every night to check in, to tell me about what's going on. And then this one day we talk and he's in Georgia and we have a great conversation. We hang up and a couple of hours later, I'm driving down Melrose and I see him in Los Angeles, not in Georgia. So I try to catch up with him, but by that point, he's gone. And when I finally get to talk to him again, he just says, it wasn't me. And I'm like, it, it was you. He says, it must have been someone who looked like me. And I'm like, but they had on your glasses. And he still denies it. He would never tell the truth. And at that point, I just said, this is enough. You know, it's really amazing um, how easy it is to see only what it is um, you want to see in a situation. Um, 
But the truth is, I, I knew who he was early on. I mean, I was young, but I wasn't a total idiot, you know? And the thing is, you know, what I was also seeing besides him was myself. And that part scared me. Um, all the fears and insecurities, and even the desires that I was having that I didn't quite know what uh, to do with. And dealing with that part was a bigger challenge than any lie or any fake Gladys Knight tour that he could ever tell me about. So my favorite part of Phil's story is where he cuts his sweatshirt like flash dance and <laughs> goes out to, to cruise. Um, and it's just like, he's so charmingly and so beautifully naive in this, um, in this story, just like really wonderful um, with all of these like hopes and worries and like, who am I? What, you know, oh my God, a boyfriend with a car. Anyway, it's just, I love that story so much. And it was so great to um, meet Phil who is here in Baltimore and he is actually raising, he's been raising and homeschooling his two five-year-old kids during the pandemic. So living a very different life uh, than he was. (laughs) Before we get to the next um, trying to be sexy but really being confused story, we want to thank Mend Acupuncture, which just came on as a sponsor of the Soup Storytelling Series podcast. They have been named the best place to get poked and they offer community acupuncture. So enjoyable, low stress sessions that start at $35. You can find them at a bunch of locations in the Baltimore area. So this next story is shared by Justine Barron. And this was shared at a second soup show we did at the Creative Alliance, another great organization here in Baltimore. And um, it's confusing. It's trying to be sexy at something. So um, have a listen. Uh, I used to do a lot of storytelling. Um, It's been a few years, but um, this is the best room I've ever been in. I'm really inspired. And um, (laughs) I want to talk about something I've never spoken about to another person before ever, for real. So um, um, you guys have inspired me. Uh, Nobody will ever want to date me after this, but (laughs) that might be good. You have to be yourself. So Um, I guess my letters are um, B, sometimes L, uh, Q, but also maybe A, um, which is, I guess, asexual, but not the happy-go-lucky kind um, at all. (laughs) So uh, I want to just, like, this is a story I've kind of told, but I want to explore it now in this way that I never did. So this, like... (sighs) My first memory of any kind of crush when I was eight, I bought a diary at the mall, and I went home, and I wrote about the boy at the mall. And um, he was, like, abstractly blonde. And um, we we had a moment or two, and I made up the whole story. I don't know if there was ever a boy at the mall. I was in love with him for years. Um, and my brother read my diary, made fun of it, so that was – I never wrote in a diary again, ever. Um, but uh, – I would like to say that that was a phase, you know, but it lasted like 20 years where I just kind of, maybe not 20, but almost, but I just, real people were were a problem and fake people were great. Like in high school, there was this guy, Dylan, I I fell really madly in love with him after he died. Um, While he was alive, he would not have been my type, but I became, so I didn't go to prom because I was like, Dylan and I would have gone Um, and he died. So, uh, and then in college, it was like my, I was, I had a thing for my gay professor, and 
I, I couldn't even look at him. It was like Icarus. He was just too shiny and bright. Um, so it, it was just like, and, and it, it was like a four-year obsession. You know, I read every word he wrote, and then I'd see him and run the other way. And, um, so, uh, and, and girls too, you know, but it would always be sort of like, I, I never thought like, oh, I want to kiss that girl. I just thought like, her bangs are so amazing. Um, so I, I didn't understand what other people were feeling or experiencing at all. And, and honestly, it's probably because I had some trauma um, or I'm just special. Um, but in any case, it did all finally hit me at once. I went to grad school in Durham, North Carolina, and I, I've been back to Durham and it's like, I don't know what it is. You go to Durham and you get really horny. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I thought, I didn't know, I thought because, oh, I, you know, I was at time of life, but it's Durham. It's horny. Um, it's got like moss trees everywhere and you're just like, <sighs> but, um, so uh, in Durham, I started to like want people and it was really awkward. I remember like trying to flirt with some guy at a party and he's like, I'm getting grossed out and walked away. Like he literally said, I'm getting grossed out. But um, I was teaching at a literacy council and there was a woman working there named Leslie. And um, she kind of looked perfect, but like I guess there were some problems with her teeth. But um, she and I got coffee one day and she told me she was married to a guy named Mendel. She was 19 and he was 35 and she said that they um, – they like to swing and the you know I was like oh I was like oh yeah I'm I'm actually very experimental myself I was a virgin I was 20 I was a 24 year old virgin that is not that bad 24 come on I hit it the next year and it was terrible but in any case um so uh I met Leslie and Mendel at the Olive Garden for dinner and um they were flirting with me, and we had, our, we had a date at my house, and it was like six hours of them, like my clothes stayed on, and they just like rubbed me, and they worshipped me, they told me I was perfect, and it was like, it was the best night, it was the best sex, I never should have, yeah, it was just, it was like I was a goddess, two genders, they had, um, by the way, Leslie had three kids from two men. It was so weird because I kept running into that. She was 19. I was 24. I was always like, everyone is so far ahead of me. I will never catch up. <laughs> like, you have three. That means you must have had sex like 3,000 times. <laughs> I haven't had it once. So then I, so we had that, like, perfect date. And I was like, okay, I'm in a threesome. Um, and then we had a second date that wasn't so perfect. Uh, we were laying on their, like, rough carpet. And um, the baby was around the corner. It's fine. And, um, and then Leslie had sex on top of me, but not on, on my junk. She did it on my thigh or something, so nothing like, I, I was just like, oh, she's doing this thing. And then um, Mendel started crying, and he's like, I can't, I don't ever want to see this again. So I made an arrangement with the two of them. Like, honestly, I was just down for whatever, obviously. Um, to see them separately, uh, because that was the only way it was going to work. And I was like, sure, I'm a grad school dropout. Why not? Um, so uh, this went on for like a couple of months. And I actually didn't have sex with either of them. It, whatever you would define sex, like I never took off my – there was no um, genitals. There was no orgasm. There was no oral sex. But there was a lot of making out and feeling each other. And it was, it was very confusing. I was in therapy at the time. And I remember like saying I like touching her, her body, and like it against me. But I like his, his mouth is big, and that's good. And I like his hands. 
And I like, look, what is it? It's like many, many, it's like a decade or more later. And I still have the same problem. It's like, I want the hands and the mouth and then the body. Like, it's very confusing. I'll never sort it out. But, um, I didn't really have any feelings for them. A lot of it was just a story and an experience, you know. So, um, yeah, they actually asked me to join their family over uh, macaroni and cheese on paper plates. And it was just, it was a lot. Like, it was like, I don't want to be in a family where we're eating on paper plates. I don't want uh, two spouses before I've even had sex. Like, (laughs) but, um... So, uh, you know, and it's like, there's, 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 look, I'm confused still. I'm getting really old. And I'm also, like, not that into it. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I I went through some trauma again, which is kind of like my childhood trauma recently. And it's like, I don't know if I want to be touched, but like, if anyone wants to get coffee, develop a very strong romantic relationship and, um, that's it. I guess that's it for me. And, you know, there's, like, I guess the A, the asexual is, like, maybe that's where I'm at. And maybe that's a thing. And I know I see it on Twitter, and sometimes people are, like, they have, like, nicknames for different types of A. Like, I'm the type of A that, like, does watch porn and fast-forwards through the, to the good part. But, like, I don't know. That's just, that's it for me right now. You figure it out. So Justine, um, like Phil, is a is a Moth Story Slam winner. She's won a couple times, so it's great to have both of them here in Baltimore and on our podcast today. And again, like I love all of the just it's like twisters that she's getting herself into here and trying to figure out what she is, who she is, who she likes, who she wants to sleep with. All of that I feel is so authentic to being being young. Yeah. And also, apparently, to being really, really old. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or just very middle-aged. Nope, not middle-aged. That's not when people are having all the sex. It's when you're young and it's when you're old. That's when when it's happening. You heard it here first from our (laughs) resident sex expert, Jessica (laughs) Hayes. That's my name. Resident expert. Okay, so uh, Stoop Podcast is also sponsored by the Wine Source, which is an awesome place to get wine, beer, cheese, all of the above at um, 3601 Elm Avenue in Am- Hamden and Golden West, which is an omni restaurant with a vegan forward menu. I have been obsessively getting their vegan breakfast burritos uh, for the past month. As Laura knows, I um, find a food and then I just order that food over and over again. And right now that's what I'm doing. That's the that's the play I'm running. Please visit stoopstorytelling.com to learn about upcoming events. We are so excited that we have a live Woo! outdoor show coming up on Saturday, June 5th. So stay tuned for details. Or you can just go to our website and listen to stories from our archive. You find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoop Storytelling Series. And we want to thank, as always, Maureen Harvey for producing and you for listening. We'll be back soon with more stories from the Stoop. Hey.